Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Hello, everyone. This is the Mike Abadir Show, and I am Mike Abadir, the host of this show, and I am joined with my co-host, Gino Bacola. Gino, how are you, my man? Mike, I'm excited. The big voice got my name right. A lot of times I'll get the Bacoli, the, they'll kind of <laughs> mess up Bacola, but we got to make sure we pay big voice a few extra bucks for that great pronunciation on the intro. I'm excited to be here, Mike. We, uh, good friend, you and I have been good friends the last couple of years. We spend a lot of time talking sports, and as far as the timing of the year is concerned, we couldn't have picked a better time to start the show. Uh, last week you had a great show, but as far as just football, college football, both starting, we're going to have a first NFL game of the year tonight on Thursday night. College football had an unbelievable weekend last weekend. We're right in the end of baseball season getting ready for the baseball playoffs. We just ended the great summer racing meets for horse racing, and we're getting prepped for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, basketball is only a couple weeks away, uh, less than a, I think a month away now because they're starting a little earlier this year to spread the season out. So we're going to have basketball games in the middle of October. There is so much to talk about, so much to dissect. I wish we, I wish we had five hours, Mike. I wish we had five hours a day because we have so much to talk about. I know. I do, too. What do you think of the game tonight, by the way? Patriots and Chiefs. Yeah. Interesting game, Casey, at New England. Uh, the Pats are nine-and-a-half favorites. It opened up at the Pats, seven-and-a-half favorites, over under 48-and-a-half. We know Edelman's out for the year. But a couple positives. Gronk, he's healthy, and he cut out beer drinking during the season. Maybe I need to do that because I'm getting a little ponza. The belly's starting to creep up over the shorts a little bit, and that never really happened for me before, Mikey. But uh, no beer for Gronk. He's going to therapy with Tom Brady, and it's the first time since 2012 that Gronk has actually even played in a preseason game this year. So he looks ready to rock and roll. Um, They picked up another couple pieces. It seems like every year they just take everything from the Buffalo Bills. they got another couple players from the Buffalo Bills, uh, Kansas City. They're always a very solid team, but I've already heard some rumblings that they like the rookie quarterback, and Smith has not been really uh, getting the ball downfield. You know, he's had some issues with just checkdowns, and he's he's a good, serviceable game manager. They're trying to get him to throw the ball downfield a little bit more. They have a nice option in Tyreek Hill, who's really, really fast, so... I'd assume Belichick, he's going to try to either take out Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, and he's going to try to make everybody else beat him because they're going to have a rookie running back starting tonight. Uh, They had an injury to Spencer Ware earlier in the year, so Kareem Hunt, the rookie from Toledo, he will be getting the rock all night long. So uh, we'll see. You know, it, it'll be fun. I would honestly lean towards uh, towards KC. They're at New England opening night. I think the game will be a little bit closer than the nine and a half. I would. I'd love if if it were ten, ten and a half. You can get that extra uh, point and make it a two score game if you're playing the game. But um, as far as uh, as looks, I think KC will keep it pretty close. New England's going to be so tough this year, though. They're going to be the chalk and everything we talk about most weeks. And with Brady back and maybe even a stronger. Uh, supporting cast and he's had in, in in previous years they're just going to be really really tough they added brandon cooks and uh and it's just another patriots team that i think everyone's going to have to beat in a 
at a pretty weak AFC from top to bottom. I think a few teams at the top of the, the division, uh, at the top of the conference are, are pretty good, but the rest, a lot of mediocrity towards the bottom. So, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll have fun. If, if you don't shut me up now and, and bring in Todd, we'll just keep talking. We'll, we'll go for an hour <laughs> before we even realize that I, I didn't bring in poor Shruppy. So, yeah, we'll, well, we'll, it, uh, it, we'll it, have a good, good, fun conversation with T. Shrupp today. And he's a big sports fan in general, so we'll pick his brain about some uh, yeah, and we'll, some we'll get some football information on, from basketball, him too. everything, right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? Before we leave the Patriots thing, it'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs get blown out, how soon the calls for Pat Mahomes come in. But that's uh, going to be discovered tonight. And let's quickly take a look back at last week. You, you mentioned last week's episode. want to give a big thank you to Morris Bradshaw of the Oakland Raiders once again. It was a fantastic show. So um, we, we'll try to bring him back to conclude some of the things that we uh, left unsaid and that we wanted to cover on the show last week. Looking ahead to next week, we will have former Cincinnati Bengals linebacker Adrian, the Mad Backer Ross. He will be talking college, pro football, fantasy football, social issues, you name it. He's got a big opinion, and he'll deliver the big hit. So we're looking forward to that. Now, without further ado, he makes us laugh. He lets us know the exact moment that the post parade down to the second has happened. And he gives us winning pick fours. I'm talking about longtime TVG television host, Todd Shrupp. Welcome to the show, Todd. How are you? Uh, the fact that I'm with you two, I'm going to be all right. I mean, this is easy. I, I, I don't even have to be a great guest. After listening to that opening, I just have to coast and ride your guys' coattails. That was fantastic. <laughs> well, Mike, you, you, you missed one of my favorite things in the intro for Todd. You forgot that he was uh, an actual pro wrestler. For a time, his, uh, his Jerry I forgot that because I didn't know that. So you got to make sure you roll that one out in there too. Me being the wrestling fan that I am, that's where my love for Todd really came in, and that was before I even met the guy. So you well, know, I had a long-standing uh, affection for old Shruppy before we even uh, had the, the privilege of working together. Todd, it's great to great to have you on. Miss you, buddy. I mean, you got to miss me a ton too. Let's be honest, right? No, listen, uh, first of all, your personality gets me going, and uh, your enthusiasm at TVG is always missed, but uh, the fact that you love horse racing as much as you do is a credit to our sport. It's funny you bring up the wrestling because it was the 15th anniversary uh, this past August of getting into the ring with Jerry the King Lawler, and for those who just got into wrestling with Roman Reigns and that crew, uh, Jerry the King still is going around wrestling but uh the signature move that jerry the king had was the pile driver which i think your generation outlawed because it was so dangerous yeah, you know yeah but and, uh, and you took that i, I had a chance to <laughs> go in the ring just like andy kaufman did many moons before and uh, have jerry the king lawler put me into a pile driver and uh i would say it was a one-off i would never do it again uh because uh the king is obviously a much better wrestler than i am but it was an experience that i'm so glad i got a chance to do that's super cool, man. So you're not going to even give it a chance to, to make your record 500 in the wrestling ring? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what? You know, oh, that's right. In yeah, the ring I with me next time uh, in order yeah, to be 500. And then, uh, yeah, right. then so your was, chances would be a little bit one. better. I could make it 500. But it was, um, you know, it's funny. I'd look, it's one of those things. It's almost like the Wilt Chamberlain 100-point uh, game. I, I think the gym only held about 2,000 people, but there were 100,000 people that came up to him in his lifetime <laughs> yeah, and said I was there. Everybody's got a story uh, it's the about same it. Thing yeah. with my wrestling. People come up to me at least once a week and want to talk about that wrestling match, which took, which took place 15 years ago. And it may be, of all the things I've done at TVG, 
and this was obviously not really racing related, it may be the most popular thing I've ever done. Yeah, Isn't speaking of TVG, how how did you how did you get to TVG, and and what was your history with horse racing leading up to that? Well, that's the thing. When you look at anybody's career, there's a circuitous route that you take anyway. Um, for me, my career in horse racing uh, started at a small track in Minnesota, where was which was always home for me. I, we traveled around a lot as a kid because my dad was in the Marine Corps, and then when he got back into civilian life, we moved back to Minnesota, and so I went to my local library. And I, I picked up a book on horse racing because they were going to build a track there. And it was called The Winning Horse Player by Andy Beyer. And I never took it back. So I don't know what the fees are at this point <laughs> on that book. And I hope no one from the Chaska Library is listening. But I um, read that book and I wanted to be a professional handicapper. And it was just the, the way Andy Beyer wrote, and he's a fantastic writer, um, but he wrote about making his own speed figures and making his living at the races as if there was this magic formula to discovering winners, and I wanted to find that magic formula. But more so, I wanted to be a professional horse player because the life just sounded amazing to me. He'd be writing about Hialeah in its glory days in South Florida. So you can imagine uh, a teenage kid sitting in the dead of winter in Minnesota and really just being entranced by the stories that he was writing about. So what I decided was I needed money to be a professional horse player, so I would work at the track part-time during summer for high school. And uh, I ended up getting hired at Canterbury Downs. I just wanted to have a maintenance job where I worked in the mornings and they could use my money and go out to the races in the afternoon. And once they interviewed me, they said, you need to be in fan education. You need to tell people about the sport. And that kind of launched my, my career of explaining horse racing. And then I wanted to be in broadcasting. And what horse racing allowed me to do is essentially wear a lot of hats and have hands-on experience. Because not every, you know, when you go through a formal education, there's a lot to it, but it's your internships where you get a chance to actually do what you're trying to major in. Well, with horse racing, I was getting to do that every day, and it helped me get better. I look at where I was when I first started as a young teenager and where I am now as a 48-year-old, uh, as Ken Rudolph would say, grown-ass man, um, and to see where I'm at now. And uh, it, you have a different perspective on things, but this securitist route that I'm talking about took me from uh, Canterbury Downs in Shockley, Minnesota, to a track in South Florida, which is now called Gulfstream Park West, and it really doesn't exist as it once was, but it was called Calder Racecourse when I worked there. And I was at Calder Racecourse for seven years, and there was an ad in the Daily Racing Forum, and the ad was for this startup horse racing network. So I sent in my tape. Um, they called me out for an audition, and I went out there, and I was fortunate enough that they, they loved me, and they, they hired me on the spot. There's some stories behind that about who I auditioned with and and um, the people I thought I was competing against, so I'd actually later work with and probably have to apologize for how aggressive I was in the audition. But um, <laughs> kind of all those the experiences, bus a little bit, huh? you don't point. want to make them look good. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I, I'll never forget, they, they, for the TVG auditions, I had no idea who was out there, and they put us up on the Hyatt on Sunset Boulevard, and I went down to the breakfast room the morning of the audition, and there was Matt Carruthers. Now, Matt Carruthers is obviously a staple now in the network, but he's also somebody that I knew at Canterbury. He worked for me. Uh, I became, I rose, as they would say, to the supervisor of the information crew. And we wore red jackets, and people would come up to the information booth, and it would be, where's the bathroom? Where do I buy a taco? Um, how do I read the Daily Racing? You could get any kind of question, which has helped me to this day. And, and, you know, for anyone out there, and I get that question a lot, you know, how do I get involved in racing? 
you don't always have to be on the direct path of anything you're doing. You have to take the experiences that you have coming up and then use that. And to this day, those experiences in that customer service booth were everything because it allows me to think on my feet when I'm on the show and I can answer just about any question and handle a lot of different situations. But Matt actually was one of the guys working for me at the time before he went off to college in Tulane, before I went off and down to South Florida called the race course. Um, so I go down on the morning of the audition, there's Matt, and I had no idea. So now I'm like, I'm competing with Matt for this job. So Matt and I talked a little bit, and then we had different audition times. So the audition I ended up with was with Greg Wolf, who's now with uh, Fox Sports 1, and he works for the New York Racing Association in their show, and obviously was with TVG for many, many moons, and is fantastic at what he does. But when you go into the audition, you don't know who you're competing against. So I'm having a really good audition, and to be honest, and Greg would say this, he's having a terrible audition. So normally, if that were a situation on TVG during a show, I'd help somebody along. But because we're going for a job, I'm burying him. <laughs> I, was, I was not helping Greg Wolf along at all. And um, I just recently had dinner with him in Saratoga, and we had a chance to talk about it. He said, I've told that story a lot. And I said, I've told the story a lot, too, and I don't sugarcoat what I did. I, w- I was trying to beat you in that audition, and I'm sorry. You know, to this day, I'm sorry, but... Uh, Greg and I uh, remained very good friends, and uh, we got over that uh, initial happening. But, yeah, it, it, what was great about TVG in the beginning is you didn't know what you were getting into, but you knew this. You were getting on the ground level of something. And at the time, the only other network that was solely dedicated to one sport was the Golf Channel. There was no NFL network. There was no MLB network. There was yep. no NBA TV. Mm-hmm. It was just Golf Channel and then horse racing. And that's, that, to me, was very exciting to get a chance to be on the ground level of something. And now to be here 18 years later with it is even more gratifying. Yeah, that's a great uh, you know, chron- chron- chronological you know, breakdown as to how, how things happen. And I love the story about Wolfie and everything like that. We've got a few seconds before we get to our first commercial break. Before we do, uh, we have a question for you to think about. It came to us via Twitter. An uh, individual named C. Pi is asking any of us if we have any racing picks today. So why don't we think about that for a moment? I know there's a lot of good racing going on at Kentucky Downs and elsewhere. Uh, if we have a pick to share, let's give it right after this first commercial break. We will be right back with Todd Shrupp from TVG. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the Mike Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We've got with us TVG's very own television host Todd Shrupp and we are talking all things racing wrestling football and whatever else comes our way uh, I'm going to give the Twitter handles as well Todd can be tweeted at at Todd TVG Gino's is it's me Gino B and mine is at Mike Abadir so please feel free to reach out to us email call us tweet us we ended the first segment with a question from C Pi regarding any picks. Gentlemen, well, I'll, I'll give you one today. I don't know if Todd, because I'm not sure if Todd's how much he's looked at for the races today, but I'm looking at the SoCal stuff every day for uh, Bruno with the works.com. So I, I looked at Low Sal, looked a little bit at Kentucky, but there's a lot of scratches, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from Kentucky. Low Sal, seventh race, number seven, Phantom Proton. Blinks on today for Drysdale. Second start off the bench. This horse ran really, really well in her debut at Santa Anita late October last year. She was in front of It Tis Well, who's a multiple, who has come out of that race to win multiple graded stakes. I think this is a filly who might have needed that last race. I'm expecting her to take a big step forward. She hooked a really nice Mandela filly named Anonymity that day, and it was a pretty strong race. The horses that were uh, second and third, they've all come back to run pretty well so far. So Phantom Proton, seven in the seventh today at Los Al. Sounds good. And what about you, Todd? Did you have a chance to take a look at anything? Well, I, I needed uh, G-Man's help because the race I was looking at was the final race at Los Alamitos today. It's a maiden special weight race that if you look through it, if you look at the pedigrees, you look at the purchase prices, it reads like it's at Del Mar or it's at Saratoga. It's a really, really deep race. You can see a horse emerging out of here that could eventually be in graded stakes company. So a mile maiden special weight for two-year-olds. And there's two first-time starters I was looking at, the three Canadian game for Doug O'Neill, by Curlin out of the Pleasant Colony Mare Party Chatter, and then the four Inscom, who's by Distorted Humor out of a Lemon Drop Kid Mare, and you look at their pedigrees and you can see why they're debuting around two turns, but that's where I would turn to uh, G-Man and uh, his association with Bruno to know how the three Canadian game and the four Inscom are working. Outstanding. Uh, the three's training okay, but the four is training lights out. Four-star work on August the, ter- uh, August the 13th. Looks real. I, I, I singled, I played two different tickets. One of them I'm singling the four to close out. The other one, I included the six, who comes out of that Bolt Dioro race, and we just saw, I think Bolt Dioro, so right now, has to be the, the number one as far as the two-year-olds that we've seen. I think he's been the most impressive. And then we see City Plan comes out of that other strong race behind Zatter and St. Patrick's Day, and then even poor Jungle Warfare, who had a tough summer. He just came out of a couple of really strong races. So, yeah, that's a good, good call, Todd. The four, it looks really, really live. Um, if you're looking for a bomber to, to include in your exotics, the two at the bottom of maybe tries and supers is also training well, dare to enter. Yeah, and, and for everyone out there, it, there's a lot of workout services out there, but I've just found Bruno DiGiulio is not only the best insight, he's someone you can trust. He knows what's going on, and so Gina's associated with uh, a very good man there. And so that's enough for me. If you're telling me Inscom is working out that way, then uh, that's good enough for me in the eighth today at Los Al. Well, and we saw how the Simon Callahan's doing with the youngsters so far on the grass, on the on the dirt, 
uh, he's he's been loaded with young horses, and he's just really really going well right now. So yeah, that's uh, that's one to keep an eye on. Very good. Well, we thank CPI for that question uh, via Twitter. We also have another one from a Southern California trainer named Jim Anderson. His question for you, Todd, is this. He's asking me if you have any favorite guest handicappers for a race. And he says, mention Mr. Money Pants. So I have a feeling that there may be a story here involved. <laughs> well, first of all, Mike Abadir has done that. So Mike would be my number one guest. That is the right <laughs> answer, my friend. <laughs> that, that has to be number Mr. one, too. You sang a Mr. whole new world Shay. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Money Pants was um, a, a pre- professor from out east who wore some very colorful clothes, uh, but was also very insightful. And, and to me, he was an example of how horse players come from all walks of life. In that conversation we just had, Gino and I going back and forth about the last race at Los Alamitos, that's what I want TVG to be. Um, I think a lot of broadcasts you watch for horse racing, uh, it's pretty much predictable. It's a formula. I, and Look, no disrespect to what they do at NBC, but if you watch uh, a broadcast of the big races for NBC and then you watch when ABC did it 30 years ago, not a whole lot has changed. You've got a host, you've got two analysts, everybody loves each other, and it's, it's not a reflection of what a conversation at the track is like. What you heard Gino and I doing going back and forth about this last race is what a conversation is like. And there's going to be races where Gino and I disagree, and then we're going to give each other a hard time. And the fact that there's 30 minutes in between races uh, allows us to talk about other topics, as you do on this show. So I, I like the fact that when we've had on guest handicappers, it gives people a chance to see that horse players come from all walks of life. We've had a professor. We've had someone like you, Mike, who's multi-talented, but obviously an NFL agent as your main focus. And then uh, I, I look at just people that I meet when I go throughout my travels, and I'll be checking in at the airport and someone in TSA is like, which race are you going to? I mean, <laughs> for some reason, postal workers, TSA, and grocery stores have our, have our most fans. I don't know why that is. It just works out that way. But I <laughs> just awesome. know that of all the people that I've met throughout the years in horse racing, I, it's, it still comes back to the fact that we're all drawn to this game. Um, we got in different ways. Maybe the, the most common story is my dad took me to the racetrack, and I've been a fan ever since. But we come from all walks of life. But we're all unified by one thing, and that is the opportunity to cash a ticket and to be involved with this, this great sport of thoroughbred racing. So, yeah, from Mr. Money Pants to so many guests that we've had on, uh, but I will say, yeah, Mike Abadir is still the top guest. Oh, um, Todd, thank you, you very much. Uh, <laughs> something that I think will lead kind of right into our other topics. And it was, I tell people a lot of the time, I actually mentioned this a couple of days ago. I think the relationship that you and I have is one of the, my favorite that I have with anybody, and it's one of the most honest. And um, I, I used to – I'll think about Simon laughing because, you know, race one, you and I will both be on the same horse. We're yelling and screaming together, high-fiving off air, telling everybody else that doesn't have the horse to suck it. And then the next race – you and I are in completely different directions, and we're screaming at each other, telling you, you don't know what you're talking about. That's a bad pick. What a Joe selection. And then right back to the third race, we're back on the same team again, rooting for the same horse. And I love, I love that dynamic. And I think sometimes in horse racing we get a little too politically correct with, with not being necessarily um, negative or not necessarily wanting to stir the pot. It's a small world. It's a small community. We all know each other. But I think, you know, and we'll talk about some things coming up with Ken Ramsey's comments on takeout and some of the, the aging stuff. I, the discussion and sometimes the, 
the disagreement, that's what leads to, you know, to positivity coming forth. And that's what leads to, you know, making moves and things getting better and better and better. So, you know, you watch a football game and you watch the coverage on ESPN, it doesn't matter if Tom Brady, how good Tom Brady is, if he throws a bad pass, they're going to say it. They're going to say it was a bad pass. He threw an interception. Uh, that, was, that wasn't one of Brady's, you know, th- that running back cut the wrong way. That was just a, you know, a bad schematic uh, decision. So I love what you mentioned right there, and it, it kind of leads into a couple things I wanted to talk to you about. They're both tied in. Did you get an opportunity to hear um, Ken Ramsey's comments about the takeout hike at Keeneland? I, I haven't been able to catch up on those because I was uh, traveling, but Ken Let me Ramsey, give you a couple quotes then, and I just want to get yeah, your reaction. And I know, sure. and honestly, I know what I, well, I like asking you about this stuff because I know and you, that you're a horse player. And as you mentioned more yeah. than anything, you know, you love the sport, but you play the races uh, with your own money. You're, uh, you're, you know, involved heavily every day betting. And he mentioned, you know, the industry needs to rise up as one. And, you know, and I know Keeneland's a big, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus because I know Keeneland and PBG, they're big partners and everything. But he mentioned Keeneland raising takeout to the max allowed. We need to rise up as one voice. Uh, they also raise the entry fees. They are a nonprofit organization. They needed extra money for the purses. And uh, Ramsey said that's not the case. He said they make Benedict Arnold look like a patriot. He said the $2 better is the backbone of the industry, and they're killing them. And he asked them, please don't raise the taxes on people paying your salaries. He also said racing as it's meant to be has always been Keeneland's kind of staple but it doesn't feel like that's the case. You know, in, in this world in racing right now, as a customer, um, we understand Keeneland is top tier as far as, you know, experience, as far as racing quality, as far as what they give. They are at the top of the tier, but the, the better in you has to be a little frustrated when we see tracks raising takeout. Well, look, the, the better me is frustrated on a lot of fronts in horse yeah. racing when it comes to uh, – improving our situation. Let me speak specifically to Keeneland. I want to speak a little bit more broadly after that. Keeneland has always gotten it. Um, this news obviously sent a shockwave. The um, National Horse Players Association for the longest time made them their number one track, and one of the things they pointed out to was the low takeout. What I can tell you is that having known the Keeneland staff as long as I have, and, and one of the guys they have there who runs Paramutuals, Jim Goodman, is as good as they get in the sport. And I can tell you one night, after the races, I'm sitting there with one of their larger players, and what he'll do every day after the races is he'll swing through the different areas where the horse players are, whether you're someone on the first floor or whether you're up in the bluegrass room or the green room where the higher players are. He'll stop by and he'll get your opinion. And I can tell you that I've had my home track where I may have gone there for 12 years, and I've never had a director of paramutuals ask my opinion. Jim Goodman is as good as they come in the country. Now, some of these decisions are obviously behind, beyond him, but he's consulted on. But I can tell you there is a level of care for the horse player that Keeneland has that no other track can really replicate. Um, as far as what they're going to do, um, I ultimately believe that, yes, it is something that horse players are going to be upset about, whether or not, as you know, Ken Ramsey has called for a boycott and the rest of it. The one thing I found about horse players is that they get fired up about an issue, and then it basically goes away. Um, a good example of that is Churchill Downs in Kentucky raised takeout probably five years ago now, around that time, and horse players like, there's no way we're going to play Churchill. And then after uh, about a year, and if you look at the numbers now, Churchill's right back where they were on handle. Horse players Southern do California not did the same thing, United Long too. Long. What's that? 
SoCal did the same thing a few years back, you know, yeah. and, and they haven't and, really and gone a, down much. And that's, that's kind that's of the, the problem, thing. you know. Yeah. And even yeah. with Canterbury yeah. last year, when they lowered the takeout, they didn't see the immediate signs right away, so people are going to refer to that as, um, oh, it didn't work, the, it, you know, it, it didn't work. But I do, I do think I, that Ramsey mentioning it is a good thing for us because I think he's one of the few people that really wears the horseman hat and the, the horse player hat. We don't see well, yeah. a lot of the, that yeah. overlap. And sometimes I worry about the disconnect there between the owners and the trainers and the horsemen and the, the, those who are just in the game from a pure gambling uh, wagering well, standpoint. Let, let, me give you, let me give you a prime example. And one other thing I want to say before we move from the Keeneland issue, Keeneland did the, the, the wise thing, and then the most popular wager out there is the pick five. They went yep. and lowered their pick five takeout down to what has become industry standards even a little bit lower than that. So they, they did look at the most popular pool and they lowered the takeout there. So they tried to, tried to balance it. And it goes back to what I'm saying. They are concerned about the horse player. There are, is also an economic reality of our sport that has to be faced too. And I think that is because of a lot of mistakes that the industry has made. On that front that you're talking about uh, where California and, and being in tune to horse players, look at just here in California something that hasn't been changed in forever. Uh, and this was brought up to me probably, this was when Hollywood Park was still around. And it was brought up to me by Jason Levine. And he pointed out, he said, in the pick four, if you have a dead heat in the pick four, a uh, 30 to one shot with a three to five, they divide the pool evenly. They don't divide it proportionally. Most no every racing jurisdiction, you, you, you go, get the proportion amounts. If you catch a 30 to one shot, you're getting credit for that, even if it's a dead heat with a three to five. But we haven't changed that. And I've gone on air and said that. I know uh, other people have tried to bring it up. And horse racing doesn't listen. Now, that may sound like a small thing to a person who trains horses, to a person who owns horses, but to a person who plays horses, that's a big thing. And you want your voice to be heard. So I agree with you. People who are stakeholders at all levels, like Ken Ramsey, who's an owner, a breeder, owns every record at Keeneland that you could imagine, but is a true horse player, their voice tends to be heard. But I still believe even people like him can't necessarily move things uh, the way they should be done. Uh, another example in California. Well, Todd, can you hold that about, thought for a quick second? Because we got to get, sure. get to a commercial break. And I do want to address a couple of things that you talked about with respect to the pick five takeout and also the uh, dead heat scenario and also scratches as well so let's get to this commercial we're back uh, we'll be back in a couple moments with todd shrupp from tbg your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice American Network and let's talk football. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. We are stoked to have television games, television host. Todd Shrupp with us talking horse racing and everything else. Where we left off before the commercial break was talking about the takeout rates at different tracks. I have a few questions for you, Todd. But before we get into that aspect of things, could you explain to some of the people who are not familiar with takeout exactly what takeout is? Mike, I think we need to do that more as an industry. We tend to, even on our broadcast, we'll say things and assume people know what we're talking about and demystifying the language of horse racing is a big key to getting more people to come out to the track. What people first have to understand is that horse racing is a paramutual game and the word paramutual derives from French origin, which means to bet amongst ourselves. The main difference between playing a horse race and going to a casino is that when you go to a casino, you're winning or losing your money to that casino. When you go to the racetrack, the racetrack is holding the money that everyone wagers. And let's say that's as, as an example. Let's say we had a friendly wager on a football game. And you and I were just meeting each other for the first time. I said, hey, I want to bet $20 on the game tonight, Patriots in Kansas City. And we have opposite sides. Well, because I don't know you, um, we might bring a friend in. And we bring Gino in and say, Gino, why don't you hold the money? We're going to bet $20 each. You hold the $40 and then give it to the winner afterwards. Well, Gina would say that's a lot of responsibility. I would like five of that $40 for holding it. So we're going to get paid 35 after, and Gino is going to get $5 for holding on to the money. That's exactly what the racetrack does. They are essentially a broker in that transaction. Every, everybody puts their money into the various pools. The track takes a certain percentage out and then redistributes it after the race. I can tell you there are experienced horse players out there who still believe to this day that the tracks want certain horses to win because they don't completely understand takeout. You'd be surprised. But certainly the average person a lot of times thinks when they walk out there and look at the odds that the odds are somehow what the track is giving. No, the odds are determined by what people are betting. The more money bet on a horse, the lower the odds. So the track has no rooting interest in any race. They just take out the money and redistribute it, and that's how they make their money. 
So obviously, when you're talking about a broker in play here, we're talking about a location, for example, like Las Vegas or a satellite location or a non-host track. The host track, I assume, gets a little bit more money out of this uh, pie, if you will. And that's why we were talking about Keeneland specifically and their upcoming meet as a host track. They're putting on the show. They obviously have every right to be able to make sure that they are able to provide a top-level product. And in their estimation, they need to make sure they cover their costs. And, and they are a nonprofit organization, if I uh, remember correctly. So my question for you is this. Why is it that on different wagers, we have different takeout rates? So to me, that would suggest that on the pick five, that you're talking about having a lower takeout, that maybe they're trying to draw people in, knowing that people are going to hedge with win bets and, and exactus in the uh, you know successive races in the sequence. At the end of the day, it comes down to the amount of money bet in each pool. And so that's what I like about what Keeneland's doing there. And that's where I would disagree with Ken Ramsey. I know he's fired up about the issue. I'm fired up about the issue. I'll, I'll tell you an issue after this. But I'm more fired up about where I think the industry as a whole has failed miserably. Um, but you are going to get exactly what you said. I have no problem with um, tracks charging admission and, and whatever they feel they need to do to be in business. But the experience I get at the track better match up to what they're charging me. At the end of the day, Keeneland is going to deliver, no matter what they're doing with takeout, no matter what they're doing with admission, which is some of the lowest in the country. That's the thing you have to look at. Takeout is just part of the business of a racetrack. And it used to be takeout was very, very simple. Um, Before the advent of simulcasting and advanced deposit wagering, takeout was they would pull out enough for their track to run their business and enough for purses. So the money that the horses and the horsemen and women are trying to win um, in each race, that is because of takeout. We owe horse players a great deal of debt for the amount of money they play because that's how the purses happen. And that's where the industry, we, we have all this fighting all the time over who's going to get what amount of money. And one of the greatest statements I ever heard is all these arguments we're having over are over other people's money. It's over the horse player's money. Everybody likes to talk about who's the most important player in the industry. It's all symbiotic. We all have to work together. But it's amazing how people will have these infighting in, in, in the industry over money that is essentially coming from the horse player. And I don't think the horse player gets enough respect out of that. But to your point, it has become more complicated now. It's not just as simple as the track pulls out what they need to run and then they have money for purses. Now it it can be any number of things. So there is, you're right, there is the track that hosts, and then they charge a different fee to the simulcast outlet out there. Then there's a different fee uh, charged to the advanced deposit wagering outlet. There's even television fees in certain situations with contracts with um, an ADW like TVG. Um, there are, there's even been a proposal now that you could walk up uh, to a betting machine and you could donate to a horse retirement fund. I mean, it's amazing how many times the industry comes back to the horse player and says, Here's my hand out. Here's my hat out. And at some point, horse players, uh, their back is going to be broken. But I'm, I'm all fine with people having a, to obviously um, make a living in this business, talking about the racetracks. What I'm not fine with is standing by and letting archaic tax laws stay in place. Since about, I would say, the late 50s, the same tax rules about winning at the racetrack have stayed in place. We've done nothing for about 50 to 60 years on this. And we always wring our hands and say things are going to get better. And what I'm talking about is when you win $600 or more at the track, unlike a casino where the casinos have it right, you, do, you have to report to the IRS that you won $600 more. And what's frustrating about that 
the spirit of the rule was it was based on essentially a $2 wager and 300 to 1. And so that $2 wager returns 600 you report, okay, fine. Well, if I go and bet $400 in a pick four and it pays 600 I still have to report that on my taxes. Okay, now most people will tell you you can take the losses and get that uh, money back. It's a wash at the end of the year. But now if you win more than $5,000 under the same arcane rules, there is takeout from the, from the government. There is takeout from the federal government. And in certain racing jurisdictions, like where I was just in New York, they take, take out an additional percentage. So, for example, if I hit something for $5,000 in New York, the federal government's going to get about 27%. The local government's going to get about, let's say, about 7%. So you're looking at 34% of that $5,000 um, wager that I'm cashing is now going to go to the government. So we're looking at about $1,700. So I'm going to get 3300 back. I've got 1700 sitting with the state of New York, and I've got 1000 sitting with, um, with the federal government that I can't get to until I file my taxes. So the National Thoroughbred Racing Association got horse players to sign a petition that they would then lobby for these laws to be changed. Um, and it wouldn't even have to be a law change. It would just have to be a different interpretation. So they went to the Department of Justice. They worked everything. And we were told that in April, we would no longer have to have these W2Gs when it came to the $600 windfall that we have. And there's the possibility that the $5,000 threshold would then be raised. And what's frustrating about it, it's all based on odds. It's all based on 300 to 1, 5,000 to 1, whatever it is. Um, but the tote machines, if you go and wager 2,000 and it's not quite 300 to 1 or whatever it is, uh, they don't take into account the odds on that wager. So you're really being taxed unfairly in that way. So we were told in April that was all changing. April goes by, doesn't change. May goes by, doesn't change. June goes by, doesn't change. July goes by, doesn't change. August comes around, and now the NTRA puts out a horse player's initiative and talks about everything they've accomplished, and we're on the verge of getting this tax relief. Well, what happened to April? What happened to May? What happened to June? What happened to July? And, and instead, they're counting, they're lobbying, and this breakthrough that they're going to have as an accomplishment. And Before nothing's happened. been accomplished. Horse players have been waiting for this relief for 50 years. And we were finally told it was going to happen. And now here we are five months after the promise. And nobody's really talking about it anymore. The industry Who's the weakest link on this, Todd? At the top of the list. Well, you know, look, I, I give credit to the NTRA for trying. And I do believe that eventually they're getting there. But I'm just, as a horse player, it's frustrating to me that I'm being told the deadline, and then it just passes and nobody really seems to care. But yet, when we're in California, uh, we have all these protections for claiming races, and I do think they're great protections um, that you can have avoided claim afterwards. But then at, at the next big measure that they have by the California Horse Racing Board is a third-party Lasix rule. Who cares? Like, what, what, <laughs> what part of the industry is... What, what, part, what horse player is walking out to the track and going, I wish we had a third-party Lasix rule. Nobody. <laughs> so we do these things and we feel good about ourselves, but I'm like, who are we helping? So then we wonder, well, why are horse players diminishing? Why are there not as many? Because you're not taking care of their needs. They don't need a third-party Lasix rule. You may need it, and that's great, but at the same time, why don't you make a horse play? When is the last initiative in California, as an example, passed for a horse player? Can anyone name it? I don't know what it is. And so I think the last initiative was probably 
um, advanced deposit wagering. That was the last significant thing that changed for horse players. They've had exchange wagering on the books for well over five years now. But why won't they pass exchange wagering? Because there's really not a lot of great education amongst the groups that need to pass it. But yet there's a whole group of horse players that will put money into your sport if you had exchange wagering, but everyone else seems to be too afraid of it. The, the industry point, has to start to realize horse players have initiatives and concerns as much as anyone else, and they need a, say, a seat at the table as much as anyone else. You know, and that's You're a perfect segue to the next topic that Gino and yeah. I were, were, were just talking about last week, which is exchange wagering. We have about 30 seconds before the next commercial break, so maybe we can hold off on the exchange wagering aspect until uh, – we get back from the from the next for the last segment of the show here. But let me ask you this before we go to the com- next commercial, which is the IRS tax provisions. Once they're changed, will that have a impact on ex- exchange wagering, or are they going to have to then redraw up something for a new program like exchange wagering? Yeah, that you know that gets um, to another level. But I'd imagine that it's going to be the same rules in place because they're just going to look at it as a, as a different wager. But with exchange wagering, you're never going to reach those tax thresholds anyway, as far as I would know. You know it would be almost uh, the equivalent of a $10,000 win bet. That's not going to be taxed. Makes perfect sense. Well, then let's uh, get to the next uh, commercial and be rejoined by TVG's Todd Shrupp, who will talk exchange wagering, Breeders' Cup at Del Mar, and some NFL football talk right after this. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Email us, call us, tweet us. Any of your questions for Todd Shrupp from TVG, because he is with us right now and we are talking exchange wagering. We left off talking about the IRS tax code and some of the things that frustrate Todd about this industry and their inaction to getting things straightened out quickly, especially when it comes to taxation. Let's also talk about exchange wagering and 
how that is doing for the parent company of TBG Betfair in New Jersey and when we can expect to see it here in California. Rumor was that it was going to be here before the Breeders' Cup. Is that a pipe dream? Well, no. I mean, you know, when I mention my frustration, it, it really is tied into not necessarily a reflection of where we are now. It's the fact that we should have been there already. And the fact is, California was the first state to have on the books the rights to have exchange wagering. So some of your audience might be asking, well, why didn't they just do it? Because it's never easy in horse racing. You not only have to have the tracks cooperating, you then have to go to the various horsemen's groups, whether it's a trainer's group, you might even have to go to the jockeys as well, and you have to get all these groups to agree, okay, we're going to have exchange wagering. So Sacramento may say this is a law on the books and tracks can go ahead and do it, but the industry may shelve it because they can't get everyone to agree. So that's where California has been in the state of suspension for the longest time, and we've, we've gotten a lot closer. So what you just pointed out, I, I do hope comes to fruition, and I have no extra insight to, into that other than to say, I, I guess there are times where I'm certainly jaded about things, so I will use the old tired phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. In the meantime, New Jersey came to the table later in this process, and they, they agreed to it right away. And because you had all their groups online, as soon as it passed, they jumped at it. And they are benefiting from it. New Jersey Racing is benefiting from the presence of exchange wagering. And by extension, the sport is benefiting because it's brought a different type of player in. So exchange wagering is very similar to that scenario that I described where you and I had a small wager on the football game and Gino held the money. Well, what exchange wagering allows you to do is, is uh, make that bet person to person. And let's say it's a horse race. You like the four to five favorite, I can't stand the four to five favorite. So, in fact, I can't stand the four to five favorite to the point that I'm going to give to you, Mike Abadir, I'm going to give you two to one. You're like, wait, I can play this horse four to five uh, through the parimutuel pool, or I can play this horse two to one through the exchange. You're going to play it two to one through the exchange. And now I have an opportunity to play against a favorite that I don't like. We do that every day in the parimutuel pool, but this is more of a direct transaction between two people. So you can name your price. You can go on and say, I want four to one on a particular horse. And there's someone out there in uh, the Betfair exchange uh, amongst people who have their accounts who will offer you that four to one. So it's matching players with the value that they want. It's, it's an innovative idea that has been around for probably 15 years now overseas and why we only have one state here in America is just a statement of how slow our industry is to embrace change and embrace ideas that will actually improve the industry that they may not be completely familiar or comfortable with. We have a hard time thinking outside the box, but the Betfair exchange model is absolutely thinking outside the box and innovative. It's, ne- it's necessary, Todd, because, you know, we, we look at some of the things that have been growing the last few years. You mentioned it already in-game play, which a lot of these websites now allow you to play football games once they've started, baseball games once they've started, basketball games once they've started. Then what about DFS? Fantasy sports in the last couple years has just blown up. It gives you the opportunity to play in a big group. You could play one-on-one and head-to-head against someone else. And then, you know, the next thing, I'm reading a great article and referencing one from the, the TDN. It's talking about, uh, and it was written uh, by Dean Towers, it's talking about eSports, you know, becoming the next thing. So as far as horse racing and our, you know, the strength of our future, we really need something like the exchange to go through to, to be, you know, 
in line with, with how some of the other industries are kind of adapting with the times. Well, that's the thing. Every industry has kind of the old guard who's afraid to embrace change. Uh, the most obvious example is the music industry, who just the, the thought of a download and the rest of it, uh, but eventually it changed it for the better. And it took uh, Apple to come along and Steve Jobs to show them that with the iPod. You brought up fantasy sports. There is now um, in Atlantic City, they have an area set aside for fantasy sports where you can go into a certain area and the wager is how many points a certain player will get in that game. So fantasy sports has gone beyond the traditional just drafting players and hoping that you win a pool. It's now showing up in casinos with individual wagers. So you have a gaming industry out there that is willing to embrace change and try different things. Not everything's going to work. It's not going to. I think the exchange is different. That is a bedrock and it's already proven it could work. We showed it overseas and we're showing it here in New Jersey, but that's what thoroughbred racing has to do more of. They have to not follow and look at what other industries are doing, but actually come up with their own ideas and be innovative. And you don't see that enough to that point of about in game wagering. That's the other thing you can do with exchange wagering. You can have in race wagering. And the best example of that was when Zenyatta won the breeders cup classic, she rallied from last. And so we have a demonstration video that shows her odds um, for those who are able to bet exchange overseas, her odds in the beginning of the race, and then as she started to make her move, and she goes from 20 to 1 to 8 to 1 to 5 to 1. So as you're watching the race develop, you can now place wagers on individual horses. There's so many possibilities with exchange wagering, but there's zero possibilities if nobody gets this going in California. So hopefully that's going to change. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, we got about three minutes before we wrap up this show. Todd, we're going to have to bring you back again. Before we let you go, though, I want to ask you a yes-no question. Will they have lights for the Del Mar Breeders' Cup? <laughs> that I, oh, boy. How, usually I'm a yes-no guy. Um, I'm going to, oh, my gosh. I'm going to say, uh, I can't answer that. I, I, I'm going to pass on that one because I know I'll send somebody if I say it. I can't I do it. Say, I, I passed when he asked me uh, a few days back. One question we have to ask you, Todd, is uh, opening Opening day football, football kickoff tonight, um, and you are a big sports fan. You know, you love everything. We've talked about everything before. Um, the New Orleans Saints play at your Minnesota Vikings this weekend, Minis- uh, on Monday, actually, Monday night. Minnesota opened at three and a half. They're currently a three point favorite over the Saints. The over under is 48. These teams are kind of polar opposites. You have Minnesota with a really strong defense, questions on the offense. And then you have the Saints with one of the best offenses, questions on the defense. What do you think about this game, and what do you think about your Vikes this year? I'm a long-suffering Vikings fan. I, I can't tell you how many times uh, they have literally moved me to tears with, you know, from the missed field goal where they should have gone to the Super Bowl back in 98. I mean, so many opportunities. Why would you ponder uh, passing, Vikings. Brett Favre? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, what, but you bring that up. So who was a key part to that loss in the NFC Championship, the New Orleans Saints? One, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson now comes back as a New Orleans Saint. That's going to be the storyline that they're going to hit you over the head with now through Monday night. Um, I, I wish nothing but the best to Adrian Peterson. He gave us some phenomenal performances up there. But the key to the Vikings, again, is going to be their stout defense. And so I, despite what is a high-powered attack for New Orleans, I believe ultimately it's going to be a low-scoring game. I believe the Vikings win a low-scoring game. Uh, but it is going to be quite a sight to see Adrian Peterson coming back 
in another uniform. And I can't forget the number of times he fumbled in that NFC Championship game, including a crucial one right before halftime on the goal line. And let's also not forget this. Before Brett Favre threw that interception, which, yes, it was an ill-advised pass, it was first and go- it was first down, and we were in field goal range on the four. I, was, I don't think it was even the 40. I think it was like 35. And it was three straight runs or two straight runs into the line by Adrian Peterson with no gain. Like, if he breaks one or he even gets closer, it doesn't come down to that pass. But anyway, I'm. Yeah, I'm Heartbreak over City it. for. I'm heartbreak, over it. Yeah. Yeah, Heartbreak <laughs> City. We got about 20 seconds left. Yes, no. Do they get to the Super Bowl this year? Uh, they get to the NFC Championship and they lose heartbreakingly as they do all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one last mention. Player in you. I love it. Yeah, one last mention before we get off the air. And like I said, we'll have to bring Todd back to pick up this conversation again in the near future. But wanted to uh, address a. Uh, a cause that's near and dear to all of our hearts uh, in the racing industry, the Sam Thompson Memorial Foundation. And I just want to mention, I am a board member and very proud that $50,000 was raised during the Rio Doso quarter horse sale on Sunday to benefit uh, the scholarship fund. And so big props to everybody who worked hard, who donated and who made that happen. Todd Shrupp, thank you so much. We Thanks, love having you. Gino, great job. We'll be talking to Adrian Ross next week. Mike, one little bibliography point, too. I'd just like to mention the things. We referenced Ken Ramsey a lot today. Those who are out there who are interested, you can listen to that on L.A. Talk Radio, Horse Ownership Experience with Michelle Yu, Hanson, and Billy Koch. It was on uh, August the 15th. Just want to give them some props on that interview because we uh, we talked a lot about it today. Awesome. We'll see you, Todd, on TVG, and we'll see you guys next week with the Mad Backer, Adrian Ross. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.